So it's the last day of 2023, so maybe this is a little premature, but I want to wish you all a happy new year. To, to finish the year, Pastor Chris has given me the freedom to preach on whatever topic I want to preach on. We'll see where this goes. Because as we launch into a new year, as many of you may be considering new rhythms and practices and habits, you might get a little bit more of PT Paul, the, the physical therapist version, more of the coach in me this morning than you're typically used to. I'll try to remember that I'm at church and not the clinic, and, and hopefully you'll, you'll uh, not get confused yourself. So I'm mindful when we gather on New Year's Eve, some of you may be thinking uh, about goals for the year, you may be thinking about New Year's resolutions, maybe you're changing some eating patterns, you're thinking about how much you exercise or different social media habits or how much time you spend reflecting and resting. Of course, you don't have to do that at, at, the, at the beginning of a new year, but, but it's an ideal time. As we consider these types of changes, this morning we have an opportunity to consider how we commit and how we are formed by practices and habits. And even if you're not planning on anything new this next year, maybe you want to be countercultural, or maybe because it's just not you, it's still helpful from time to time to remember as we live out our days the type of transformation we should have in mind as we live out those days, the type of transformation we should long for over the course of our life. So one of the things I learned in physical therapy school is, is that to achieve greater fitness, if you, if you want to gain greater strength, if you want to become a better runner, if you want to improve balance or agility, uh, if you want to improve how high you jump or your overall endurance, there's a particular threshold or level of exercise you have to achieve to produce actual physical benefit. There can be psychological benefit to, to doing something you didn't think you could do, like lifting a five-pound weight for the first time, walking around the block, but, but to actually get a physiological benefit to, to your muscular or nervous or cardiovascular system, you, you don't improve if you exercise where the activity is really easy. The, the key concepts that are captured, the, the, these key concepts are captured in words like frequency, duration, and intensity. Let, let me tell you what I mean. So the, the American College of Sports Medicine, which is kind of like a, a Bible of sorts for for, for people training others in physical fitness, think doctors, physical therapists, exercise specialists, it says for people to maintain physical fitness, an, an adult aged 18 to 65, they should perform moderate intensity aerobic activity for a minimum of 30 minutes five times per week or vigorous intensity aerobic activity for a minimum of 20 minutes three times per week, right? There's your, there's your physical activity guidelines. So, so to maintain muscle mass or to strengthen how your brain is integrated with your movement patterns or for your heart to be healthier, th this is the frequency, five days a week. 
the duration, 30 minutes, and intensity, moderate intensity that you must achieve. Now, before you, before you begin to think I'm going too far down the road of physical fitness, growing in spiritual maturity is kind of like this. In order to really grow, we must commit to patterns and practices that transform and grow us over time. We must commit to a particular intensity that challenges us. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Titus chapter 2. This is the the, the passage read earlier, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. This is a passage that is likely familiar to those of you that did our Titus Bible study this past year. It's It's a passage we were encouraged to memorize and meditate on, which is one reason it provides a good bookend for the year. And as we launch into 2024, it's an ideal passage giving us a picture of the transformation and motivation for the transformation that takes place in the Christian over time. In this vein, the title of my sermon this morning is Training, Not Trotting. And the big idea is this, in being captivated by the gospel, Christians are motivated to train, not trot. So let's consider a few questions as we reflect on that big idea in light of this passage. First question, what is training? What do, what do we mean by training and not trotting? And for that, passage, for, for, the, for that matter, how does the passage read earlier ground us in what it means to train? Let me, let me read verses 11 and 12 again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. So, so the translation of the Bible we typically use on Sunday mornings, the the Christian Standard Bible, what I just read there, it doesn't use the word train. It it uses the word instructing. Okay, well, that word instructing, it can be translated training. That's actually how the English Standard Version reads. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce godliness. That's the type of instructing that's in view. It's training, something that pushes and challenges. The original Greek word can even even be translated chastising. The Apostle Paul is saying the gospel or the grace of God, it challenges us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, to live in a new kind of way. This means this lesson from the gospel, it isn't a one-off. It's not a one-and-done teaching session. Once you learn the gospel, then you're through with the gospel. The, 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 the instructing, the training, the chastising that the gospel does, it's a process that is ongoing in challenging us in how we live. In being an ongoing process, there's an intensity to how we grow as Christians that leads to stronger character, leading us less likely to sin. We don't grow that way if the gospel is pushing us to commit to practices and habits that are really easy. So I mentioned guidelines for overall fitness, for overall physical fitness earlier. Let me me talk briefly about a particular kind of fitness. Some of you younger individuals in the room may be particularly interested in this because it has to do with gaining muscle mass. 
making you stronger and making your biceps and triceps and pecs look bigger and better. At a physiological level, to, to gain strength, you have to use a, a particular resistance. So, so think about the amount of weight that, that you're lifting. To gain strength, to grow muscle, the, the resistance you use, it actually must cause damage to your muscle fibers. There are connections in the fibers of your muscle that actually have to, to break, to tear. Now, you have to be careful you don't, don't go too far that you traumatize tendons or tear muscle tissue like Pastor Chris did several weeks ago. Okay? Don't want to do that. But, but to advance strength, you, you have to cause a little bit of damage. To gain strength, that expression, no pain, no gain, it very much is true. The process of repair it makes the muscle fibers stronger, and it builds muscle mass. Over time, that repeated process of damage and repair is picked up by you. It maybe is picked up by others. When you see bigger muscles in the mirror, or on Be Real, or when you are able to lift a, a significant greater amount of weight at the gym, or wherever you may be. So this text is saying when our hearts have been captivated by the grace of God, the good news of the gospel, we become people who train. We become people who do hard things. We don't settle for status quo. We exercise spiritually to grow new muscles, new ways our nerves and brains function together. We develop a tolerance for beneficial activities that we find to be hard today. When it comes to our spiritual formation, we don't settle for trotting or maintaining. Now, there may be a group of people in the room that, that I may have lost. And so let, let me reel you all back in for, for a minute. Some of you may be thinking, Pastor Paul, lots of us are probably working way too hard. Some of us, some of us need to slow down and embrace a less hurried pace. Maybe we should be trotting more and training less. I should say I'm not all that opposed to trotting. In fact, when it comes to running, I much prefer to trot rather than to train. At 48, you guys, I'm no longer, I don't have being a world-class athlete in my sights. My time has passed. I enjoy trotting. I enjoy listening to a podcast not talking to anyone for 30 minutes, although I would love talking to all of you. I like taking in the smell and sights of the trees and the flowers and the freshly cut grass. Usually I'm not stretching myself when I'm running. I'm not, I'm not trying to gain speed or endurance. There are benefits to trotting for 30 minutes to my heart and, and my mind. And so some of us, there is a way. The training we need to embrace is spending more time in reflective prayer or slower contemplative reading of Scripture. Those activities that grow us in slowing down are a type of training. The, the picture of trotting that is problematic is when I trot, I, I'm not trying to progress or improve athletic performance. At, at best, I'm trying to maintain the status quo. Our goal spiritually is never at best maintain where we're at. Our goal is to grow in spiritual maturity. 
You see, there are ways that we sometimes adopt practices that are more like trotting. We casually read the Bible. We casually pray. We casually engage in community. We casually try, try to weigh, change the way we relate to substances. There's not necessarily anything inherently wrong with trotting. It can have its own benefits, but it does not produce a particular kind of change. The kind that helps us grow in maturity. Training is different. Training is harder. It will feel more challenging, and there is a long-term benefit that plays out over time. Some of you have committed to Bible reading plans in 2024 that you know will challenge you, or new contemplative practices that go beyond simply gathering information, or new habits of financial stewardship that will change how you go out to eat or spend for comfort and pleasure. We do this as Christians, not because it is easy, but because the gospel compels us to do hard things. It instructs us to grow, to deepen our roots, to step into what, it, what is uncomfortable. This is what it means to train, to grow spiritually. We, we commit to particular intensities, doing something consistently more than just a day to challenge us that is not easy for us. It's when we push beyond the wall of what is easy that we truly begin to experience significant growth. When we do something over a long period of time, it shapes and forms us into a new kind of person. So that brings us to the second question. What is the goal of training? I mean, someone committed to changing eating patterns, there can be a variety of end goals that person is hoping to achieve. Maybe the end goal is to lose 20 pounds. Maybe they want, to ha- want their body to have more healthy substances in it to potentially live longer. Maybe they want bigger muscles. Maybe eating differently gives them a sense they are doing something good. N- knowing the end goal matters because it will affect how someone trains. It, it will determine the means you use to uh, accomplish a goal. It-, it will affect our demeanor. Let me share a story some of you may have heard. So there was a chief executive of a large company that was greatly admired for his energy and drive, but he suffered from one embarrassing weakness. Each time he entered the president's office to make his weekly report, he would wet his pants. The kindly president advised him to see a urologist at company expense, but when he appeared before the president the following week, his pants were were again wet. Didn't you see the urologist? Asked the president. No, he was out. I saw a psychiatrist instead, and I'm cured. The executive continued, I no longer feel embarrassed. <laughs> See, when we, when we think about what we desire, is our goal primarily longing for something rooted in a feeling? Feeling good. Feeling forgiven. Feeling like we're biblically competent. F- feeling I'm checking that daily prayer box If that's our end goal, it will very much shape the means we use to achieve our goals. And it will form us a a particular kind of way. As you consider how you want to live in 2024 and beyond, you want to keep this front and center. You you don't want to be focused on a feeling, and 
You want to be, you want to be cautious that you don't overemphasize the importance of the, the habits and practices you might commit to. So something characteristic of the Pharisees. Here's how an exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees was recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Then Jesus was approached by Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem who asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. So, so this was a spiritual practice the Pharisees had adopted. In upholding their self-righteousness with this activity, Jesus points out they were not actually forming themselves in godly ways. They were good at spiritual habits and practices, but those practices didn't actually produce submission or surrender to God. Jesus continues, hypocrites, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. You see, we're not reading the Bible or growing in prayer as an end to itself. The ultimate purpose is not biblical knowledge or better prayer practices. We can use spiritual habits and practices like the Pharisees to gain self-righteousness and that mastery of a of practice when it is the end goal it can actually help us distance ourselves from God rather than grow in submission and surrender and intimacy with him. That that is not the purpose of the training that Paul has in mind. Let's look at Titus 2 verse 12 again, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. So the purpose of spiritual training, Paul is saying here, is to grow to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the, the present age. We're, we're not just looking to feel better. We're looking to actually live differently. The, the training we're experiencing as a result of it, we're less likely to make decisions rooted in rebellion and rejection of how God would have us live. And we are more likely to think about consequences and to surrender to the will of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that word sensible, it means we use our brain. We have self-control of ourselves and our passions. When we consider how we live, we do a cost-benefit analysis. We, we think through, if I say yes to this, I'm saying no to something else. That word righteous, it, it means we want to live in ways that treat others with dignity and respect. We want to reflect how God is good and just and merciful and compassionate to others. And that phrase, godly way, it means to long to glorify and worship the Lord and how we live and move and work and play. We live counterculturally. There will be shows or books or social media practices that may be popular in the broader culture, whether it is a people who are godless on the left on the political spectrum, or godless on the right on the political spectrum, we'll refrain from both of those ways as Christians. Our lives will look different. The gospel trains us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. This is the goal of training. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, we all with unveiled faces as looking as, as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord 
and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. The goal of spiritual formation, committing to new habits and practices, it's not so we feel better about ourselves or even to become ultimately better readers of Scripture or to pray better or to fast better or to rest better. The goal is that we, we may image our Savior in deeper and richer ways. We want to give Him glory. As we launch into 2024, how are you thinking about how you train to deny godly, godliness, godlessness, and worldly passions to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age that you might better give glory to your Savior? If you want some thoughts, shoot me an email or, or talk to someone in your gospel community. Now, It's one thing to think training is a good idea. It's another to actually be motivated to experience that type of change. I mean, many of us have a mindset that we want to start exercising, but we're not really motivated to make that happen. So let's talk about one more question. How does the gospel motivate us to train? Or perhaps a different question would be, what makes the gospel such a good motivator? In recognizing how the gospel empowers or teaches us to train, not to trot, we notice the motivation provided in this passage is not a stick and carrot type motivation. Now, if you're not familiar with the stick and carrot language, the, the stick references negative consequences. The carrot emphasizes positive rewards you earn for for committing to a particular behavior. We we often use stick and carrot type motivation when we're talking about changes to improve physical health and wellness. For example, we, we might say, if you continue to smoke at age 55, you are just as likely to die today as someone who never smoked and is aged 65. That's actually true if you were wondering. But if you quit smoking, even today, you are more likely to live many more years. So that would be the carrot. The stick would be that you'd be more likely to die. When it comes to Christians being motivated to to, to train to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way, we might think of the stick as fearing God on judgment day experiencing shame or guilt associated with negative decisions, feeling like we are living like the the wicked, exposing myself or others to the relational consequences associated with sin. These are consequences mentioned in Scripture. The carrot would be when you live differently, you might receive particular rewards in heaven. People may praise you. There may be particular earthly blessings you receive when you walk in light of the commands of God. These are also sometimes mentioned in Scripture. Stick and carrot motivation, it sometimes works. Sometimes when a smoker sees the damage they're, they're doing to his or her lung, it compels them to quit. But oftentimes it doesn't. Sticking carrot motivation has limitations. Most, most smokers know the costs and benefits associated with continuing to smoke, and yet, yet they continue to do so. Most people who struggle with substance abuse know the risks and benefits associated with ongoing use. 
Most of us understand that regularly meditating on God's word, consistently engaging in Christian community, commitments to persistent prayer patterns, there is a benefit to doing them and a disadvantage when we don't do them. The Apostle Paul has a different source of motivation in mind, pointing beyond risks or benefits to self. Let's look at that passage again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. I'm going to jump down to verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our, our, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. So, so Paul says what, what motivates us to train is the good news of the gospel. What is in view here is the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Something we've been reflecting on this morning and during this season of Advent. How the grace of God has saved us in the past and how the return of Christ in glory will complete that work in the future. The the source to motivate Christians to do good works here is not to avoid hell or to gain the praise of doing good works, but to trust in God's work on our behalf. The gospel compelling us to train. It, it will play out a number of ways. There's, there's, a, there's a, lots of different things we could talk about, but let me give you two that I think are particularly relevant for what we're, what, what, why it's particularly relevant for what we're talking about today. First, the daily discipline of doing an activity over and over and over and over again. It can, it can feel kind of daunting. Daily denying godlessness and worldly lusts and living in a sensible, righteous, and godly way, you can wonder if you're actually getting anywhere. One of the things I hate or really dislike, I'll use a different word, one of the things I really dislike about running this time of year in the winter, in the winter in Nebraska, is that it usually needs to be done on a treadmill, okay? It's too cold to run outside. So running on a treadmill, it's the same view with the same surroundings on the same platform over and over and over and over again. My feet may be hitting the the exact same points on the belt minute after minute after minute, and I wonder, am I going anywhere? When our motivation is more focused on self, what am I gaining? Where am I going? It can sometimes feel like we're running on a treadmill. It can feel futile and monotonous. But when we understand that our motivation is rooted in Christ's work on our behalf, we know we're going somewhere. And that somewhere is I'm no longer defined by my past sin, my past failures, my past mistakes. I've been saved by Christ. His work has been done on my behalf. And I know Christ is taking me somewhere to a place of future glory 
where the ongoing sin and hurt that indwells my flesh and bones, it will be defeated. The truth is, the truth is you can actually make great gains in fitness on the treadmill. The slow and steady repeated patterns. Even when, it is, when, even when it feels predictable and boring, like we're not going anywhere, it can form us in deep and meaningful ways. When you get caught up in the minutia and monotony of the day-to-day, being rooted in the gospel, remembering what was accomplished in the first coming of Christ, remembering the promise that he will return, it reminds us of a bigger picture. We know that we're different than we were, and we know we're going someplace. The other thing, in pointing out the good news of the gospel, this is the second thing, specifically how Christ has redeemed us from all lawlessness and cleansed the people for himself, that the Apostle Paul is rooting us in, in understanding our identity in Christ, our identity in the gospel. You are not a slave to sin. You are not a slave to that substance. You are not a slave to your anger. You are not a slave to your struggles with control and manipulation. You have been set free. And you have been cleansed. You are upright. You are holy. You are someone who has integrity. In in the book Switch, this is a non-Christian book about how to change things when change is hard, the the authors tell the story about a group of hotel maids and their exercise habits. Now, by definition, a baseline baseline exercise to maintain optimal health, right? Performing that moderate intensity aerobic activity for a minimum of 30 minutes, five days per week, hotel maids are really good at exercising. But they don't see themselves that way. They don't believe, they actually don't believe they exercise at all. So so a group of maids, they were divided into two groups. One was told how they were already exercise superstars. And they were told the benefits of doing that exercise. Burning calories, improving strength, improving heart health. Okay, the second group was told about the benefits of exercise, but they were not told that they were already exercise superstars. Four weeks later, the maids who'd been told that they were exercise superstars, even even though they didn't start any exercise routines, even though they didn't change any eating habits or stop using substances like caffeine or alcohol, they had lost nearly two more pounds than the other group. Why? Was this some strategy to boost self-esteem, a Jedi mind trick? You are exercise superstars, so you will lose weight. See, one group, one group was trying to achieve a new identity, exercise superstars, and they believed this was not yet true of them. The other group was living out an identity that was already true of them. In understanding that identity, they were superstars, exercisers. They think what happened is 
Perhaps they scrubbed the showers with a little more energy. They maybe added a bit more walking to their duties. They had a bit more pep in their step. And it translated in how they lived. When you and I are rooted in our understanding of who we are in Christ, what he has done on our behalf, we will live differently. Now, maybe this seems like the power of positive thinking. Maybe you're like, this, this is just manipulating my mind, getting us to function, like to, to believe something that isn't true. But, but there is this reality, brothers and sisters. Because of sin, because of Satan, we struggle to believe what is true of us in Christ, what is true of us in the gospel. This isn't simply a strategy to boost your self-esteem, believe the best about yourself, and you can put your mind to whatever you want to accomplish. You see, we, we have a far lower view of ourself oftentimes like the maids who didn't realize they were superstar exercisers. We fail to understand and believe the truth about who we are in Christ. Paul is saying, when we do, when we understand who we are in Christ, what he has done and what he will do, we become people who train. We have so much more in the gospel than an identity that we are exercise superstars. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you know, do you know that you are forgiven? Do you know that the failures of yesterday do not define who you are today? Do, do you know that whatever sin has been committed against you, the deep dark ones that you don't want others to know, do you know that you are not defined by being defiled? As you look to the future and you think you will, you will never be any different, thinking you will continue to struggle with anger, struggle with longing to escape, do you know, do you know that you will be perfected? Not because you pull yourself up by the bootstraps, but because of what Christ has done and will do in you. Friend, is your hope in Christ or is your hope in something other than Christ? The gospel gives us much hope and much motivation as we launch into 2024. It compels us. It encourages us. It trains us. We trust in the past work of Christ in our life and his work in our life in the future. Now, if that's true, if you're thinking about more what it looks like to train and not trot in 2024. Thank you, Jesus. And, and let me offer one, one concluding thought. Con consider this Pastor Paul's pastoral addendum for training in 2024 that is that, just a little bit of a tangent from this passage. Here it is. Don't train alone. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, 
two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. If you're familiar, excuse me, if you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, you know it's it's a pretty negative book. It consistently communicates kind of a negative view of life. We are but a vapor. We are but dust. All of life is vanity. But it holds up the beauty of having companions and friends and allies. We know people are more likely to be successful sticking to new eating patterns or goals pursuing weight loss or fitness goals when they do it in groups. Yet so often in the Christian life, we avoid finding a partner or a mentor or someone, someone to help us be accountable. As you commit to spiritual training, as you commit to longing for, for formation, who could you ask to help you along the way? Maybe a gospel community leader, Maybe you simply need to become part of a gospel community. Maybe if you're longing to change your relationship with a substance or unwanted sexual activity, being a part of our Christian recovery ministry would be something to check out. The Bible tells us it is not good for man to be alone. As we seek to be people who deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way, don't, don't train alone. Ask for help. Find someone to journey with you. And if they fail you, don't give up. Seek others out. Persist. Whatever practices and habits you're committed to this year, even if they're not new, even if they're just keep, keep going with the old, may the goal be to reflect more the glory of Christ and his goodness. May it be to experience greater communion and union with him. May it be to experience more the victory of his first coming and to long and look forward more to his second coming. As we have have that in focus, may we be compelled and empowered to train, not to try.